0: Mike asked me to do this, and I said, "Yeah, sure." And then I got to thinking later, I was like, "What was I thinking?" <laughs> um, okay, well he said, Mike asked to give you my testimony," and I sat down and I thought about this for a while and tried to come up with something um, significant and pertinent, and all I got was my lousy life. <laughs> <And> that was <laughs> that was that was it. So that's what you get. Um, I guess I guess uh the first thing I should probably say is that that um I I am most definitely a coward. That is that is that is probably a first. Um and and you'll you'll see why here. Um Growing up we you know we we were we grew up out by Shawnee Heights out here and uh and we were rotten kids. Okay. Uh, me me and me and him. We were <laughs> we were <laughs> we were, we were bad. <laughs> we weren't just bad, we were, we were bad. We were really bad kids, and, um, it wasn't, I mean, we had good parents, you know, our, our parents, uh, um, and this is probably, you know, we had, we had, uh, we had Bible study every night, you know, we, we, we ate dinner as a family, and then we sat around, we had Bible study, and we prayed, and everything, but, um, I was talking to Dan about this the other day, and I was talking about Dad, and and you know, Dan was saying, "Well, Dad didn't give us a whole lot of interpersonal communication," which is which is true. But I get to thinking back on it, you know, we we really didn't want any. We we pretty much we were we were we were rotten to the core, and we were we were enjoying doing that. And and Dad was, uh, I think, Dad sort of figured out early that we we didn't really want him butting into. Um, but, um, yeah, well, here, let me read. Where are you going? So I was looking up verses that, are, that I thought were, like, pertinent to my life, and uh, it was, like, John uh, 3.19. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen. It may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And um, as a kid, that was that was definitely us. We were we. My dad was a righteous man, and and we knew it. And we were um, we were rotten, and and we didn't want to hang out with him and uh evil sin sin has consequences that you're not really aware of at the time and i think the consequences for our sin earlier was that uh we didn't really get to know my dad till much later i think dan and i both agreed that i was about 26 before i really started to know my dad and understand my dad and uh In the meantime, all this other stuff happened, which was really wild. Um, When we were, um, I think we were 13, 12 or 13, Mom and Dad went over to Africa for for, uh, um, kind of a look-see sort of a to check the place out. And and because I think Dad had, my Dad had told my Mom when they got married that we were going to do the missionary thing, so get ready. And uh, so, and, and Mom had, Mom, initially she said she'd like oh you know, yeah I had agreed. I'd agreed for a little bit of mission, some missionary thing, but not quite as much as he had in mind. <laughs> so anyway they went over for a look and we stayed with grandma and grandpa during which time I got what I consider to be the, the nastiest spanking of my life. <laughs> my grandpa yanked us out of the tub right there on a bare butt with a men's hairbrush. I mean I don't I don't think my feet even touched the ground. I think it was just holding me up there like a like of was pong balls. Um, I know I got worse spankings, but that one left the nastiest impression. Um, so anyway, we, when we were fifteen, I don't know, we were we were rotten kids, and we were we were on our way to rottenness. We were turning rottenness into a fine art. Um, to this day, my mother really doesn't have any idea of, of some of the things we did. I mean, we had a neighbor kid up the street, and. Uh, he was wild, and his parents didn't really watch him, and so we were, uh, we'd get a little bored, and we'd go out and set the world on fire. And I'm not speaking figuratively here at all. We, we set a lot of things on fire. Um, but anyway, so here we are, 15, 15 and we're, Dad's, we're going to Africa. And I'm not too excited about this, to tell you the truth, because I'm about to get my driver's license and then we're going to take a rottenness to a whole new level. And um, at that point, so, you know, we were going to leave before I could get to drive. And so we did. Um, we left. And going to Africa, uh, it changed everything. I mean, all of a sudden, I didn't have my rotten friends anymore. I had, you know... The whole world was a completely different place. Africa was one wild trip after another. Um, and the friends there were all missionary kids. They were all, you know, believers in Christ. And, um, I mean, it was hard to be rotten in Africa. I mean, there was, it was, you didn't have to be rotten to have fun. There was, there was, there was all kinds of wild things going on. And, uh, and Dad, um, well, anyway, I'll read this. This is the other scripture. I Always keep coming back to you. Um, it's kind of, kind of, kind of a crazy scripture, but it walks through my mind all the time. And this is when uh, Jesus walks on the water. A lot of some of you, guys, a lot of guys, have heard all this stuff before. But it says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out, went out to them, walking on the lake. Uh, okay. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, and said, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And then he climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. And those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And I think for me, that, that, that passage rides around in my brain because it defines, in my mind, it defines faith. And I, I see this as the boat. And, and, and uh, the boat, in my mind, represents sort of my current life, and how things are, and how things are all nice and easy and comfy. And it's not so much that things are nice and easy and comfy, it's just that I'm used to things the way they are now, and I like that. And, and God comes along and he says, okay, get out of the boat. And that means I have to get, get rid of things. I have to let go of things. I have to essentially let go of my own control. And it's it's a matter of seeing how things really are, seeing who, seeing the truth. I mean, what was it? What went through Peter's mind when he said, "Look, you know, yeah, let me come, let me come out to you." What what was he thinking? I mean, I mean, what did he see that that nobody else saw? You know, I mean, it doesn't say all the disciples hopped out of the boat and went running across the water. It was just Peter. Peter's like, "Yeah," and and so that. It begs the question, what what do you really believe? What do you what do you really believe? I mean it's one thing to say, Oh yeah, you got you got faith like a mustard seed, you know, you can tell the mountain to move and it will move. You know? Yeah, you can you know, you got faith like a mustard seed, you can walk across the water just like Jesus did. You know? Okay, so but I'm still in the boat. <laughs> still in the boat. I got this white knuckle. I might have my leg outside. But I got a white knuckle grip on the rail. And uh so I remember I don't know, my dad was a guy who uh I think he figured this out early. Um I have down things things I learned from my dad was uh God is in control. And um as a servant of God, you are granted all access and benefits accorded thereto. Once you understand that God is in control, God has a plan for your life, that there is a, a certain amount of, and this was the thing Dad, Dad pointed out, because up until then, we'd grown up in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. And the Reformed Presbyterian Church, and I don't really understand how Dad came out of this church, but, it, but he did. But it was a very, it's a very stiff church. It's it's Calvinists. Calvinists believe that believe in predestination. You're predestined, and God gives you the ability to uh, to accept your own salvation. In other words, you're you're saved because God picks you. So Calvinists tend not to be great evangelists. You know, it's they have sort of a fatalistic attitude towards evangelism. And um, there isn't a. I mean, they have a, a strong faith, but they tend to be very legalistic, and which was really wasn't my dad at all. My dad was a uh, was he was this. Okay, we're just we're gonna we're gonna let it ride. And uh, I don't know. I remember one time, um, and my mom. My mom was not. My mom. My mom didn't have quite the same faith my dad had, um, although she tended to go along with it. And. Um, I remember one time we were getting ready to go go down south, and my mom she was just fussing, and she was you know pestering him. She was pecking at dad, is what she was doing. She'd been doing it for a couple of days, and uh, you know well we don't we don't really know what it's like down there. And because there'd been fighting down, we were just going on vacation, and uh there'd been fighting. We were going into southern Ethiopia, and Ethiopia had fighting everywhere. And mom was like, you don't know what it's like down there. And and uh, so, and she'd been, you know, raising things. Well, where are we going to stay? What are we going to, you know? And throwing up all these little obstacles that really weren't obstacles at all. And uh, dad, dad, he was. We were just going. He was loading up. <laughs> and and mom's, you know, begging at him, and dad's loading. <laughs> and uh, I remember he he slammed the slammed the door, and he turned around, and he goes. Okay, troops, mount up, and all the kids. You know, we we got in because because we were stupid. We we really. I mean, I think back on things that was going on, and and uh, um, mom was right. Dad Dad was crazy. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, she was saying, Bill, and and uh, you haven't you haven't called the embassy or anything. You know, and Dad, Dad, Dad quit calling the embassy when he he figured out early that you called the embassy. You lived a dull life. They 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 told you to stay in in your house under your bed. They don't you know didn't make any difference what was going on. They 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 you know he didn't like you. So he'd call the British embassy. And the British embassy, you know, Dad wasn't their problem. So they'd oh yeah, <laughs> go <laughs> have a have a good time sure. To go down south. Lovely idea. <laughs> so, so dad, dad just kind of looked at her like, you know, you know, no, I didn't call the embassy. You know, well, you don't know what it's like down there. And he's he just like, well, we never know. And, uh, I can't remember what she said. Those people, oh, yeah. Um, those people don't even know we're coming. <laughs> that was, that was, we would just show up in places. Can we stay here? And, uh, and Dad just turned around and said, Just get in the car. God'll take care of the details. And and um you know, and us kids, you know, we're like in the car going Yeah, come on, mom, just get in the car. Come on, Mom, Mom, come on. But you know, but they once again we were stupid. We didn't it was crazy. And so we took off, we got in and took off and, and that was I mean Mom was right. I mean, there was there was fighting and stuff, and we went. And we had a great trip. We had this incredible trip, and and I think about things that we did in Africa, and, and um, there were little things that happened. Little things happened every now and then that I am sure, I am certain, thinking back on it now, that God put those things in place, just to, just to give us the wiggles, you know. Just to we went down on this trip. We that was a trip to uh, Arba Minch. We went to Arbor Minch and we sat out there on a the dock and the crocs, I mean, Arbor Minch was a lake that was full of crocs. And the crocs would come in and we'd sit there with our flashlights and you could see their eyeballs coming in. And we'd pest them with slingshots as they come in. And, and you hit a croc with a slingshot and they move like you, you just don't see on Wild Kingdom. Just I mean, they, they're, it's just incredible. And, uh... Um, the, the next leg of the trip, Arbor Minch was a long leg, and the next leg of the trip was even further down south and swinging around to come up the other side. And I remember um, Mom said, well, you, you should at least ask somebody. So we went and we asked somebody. I remember this, I don't think. I don't know if you were aware of this or not. But um, Dad went up and, and said, well, we're thinking about going down this road here. And, and asked this guy, I think he was at the hotel, and the guy said, oh, well, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> said, okay, mount <laughs> up. So, so was <laughs> I don't know, Dad, we just, we took off, so we took off, and we went on this long trek way out in the middle of nowhere, and I remember on that trip, uh, an ostrich, this is one of those little things, we were flying along, and an ostrich popped up, and it ran right beside us, just, <laughs> we're doing like 35, 40 mile an hour with this bird, <laughs> it was incredible, and uh, and we, we ran along, and lo and behold, we come upon a, uh, we come up on an, an army patrol out looking for bad guys, you know, and, you know, so we pull up in our car, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine that if, you know, it's, it's like, you know, if you were in Vietnam, and all of a sudden this car full of, you know, fat American people pulls up, you know, ah, how's it going, shooting any bad guys? You know, and these guys, they were like, you know, happy to see us and cool and everything. And, and, the, and two of them, I don't know if you remember them, I, but they were, they were all, they all looked to me like they were on the verge of death, every one of them. I mean, they were all um, hot, I because mean, it was hot. In that, that, that part of the country, they were hot. They all looked dehydrated. They looked like they'd been hiking for days. And um, two of them, two of them asked for a ride. And they got in the car with us, and we drove uh, like 10 miles and, and I think this was like the sergeant, and the, this were, these were like the guys who were in command. It's like, uh, you know, and got in, and, and they took off, and we went like 10 miles to the next army station. And I think back on that and now, and I'm thinking, okay, we were in a communist country. These guys were communist soldiers, you know, and we are were, we we're fat Americans. I mean, they could have commandeered our vehicle and kicked us all out, and, lo- and, they, and these guys, they looked like they were, were not having a good time. They could have, I mean, and they probably should have, <laughs> from, from looking at them, they probably should have kicked us all out of the vehicle and said, okay, you CIA agents, get out. We t- they took the car, we're gone. But they didn't do nothing like that. We just, you know, we bumbled in, picked these guys up, took off, and we had a great time. And stuff happened like that all the time. I mean, Dad, Dad understood you know, God was in control. And uh, and because of that, because God is in control, and because you are God's servant, you are granted freedom. You are granted freedom to do whatever. The world is your oyster. If God is in control, the world is your oyster. There is... And um all you have to do is be willing to go and oh well, let's see what were the other ones swimming with the crocs that's the other one i think is we went to one one place in gambela and uh gambela was this place down on the and we have this book i should have brought the book it's called eyelids of mourning and it was about these guys who, who did this work on crocodiles and um they wrote this big book. It's one of these those big coffee table type books, you know, Eyelids of Morning. It has all these croc pictures. Well, one of the things it has in it is a diagram of Gambela, where we were staying. And it shows the river. And it shows this, uh, this, uh, you know, well, here is this sandbar that sits out in the river. And here is the remains of this Peace Corps guy that they pulled out of a crocodile after they shot him when he'd been eaten by a croc right there in Gambela at the Peace Corps thing. I mean, and, there, and it's got a picture. It's a big Big box, about so much. You can see a leg and a mangled thing. It looks like maybe a head or something. But we'd all seen the book, and we all and, and so we show up in Gambela, and um, and and the local little local kids are swimming, and it is hot. Gambela is really hot, and so we said, "Dad, hey, can we go swimming?" And Dad's like, "Oh yeah, sure, probably be okay." Said so kind of, tr- you know, sort of stay with the local kids. Well, you know, we're not doing that. <laughs> so we're down there swimming. Well, Dad says, okay, fine, y'all go swimming. And he turns around and walks off. Well, we also know at the same time in the clinic that Dad's come to be at, there are two people in there with croc bite at the time. One guy got bit in the face, um, and the other guy got got bit. I don't sure how that happened, but he got bit on the back. And there's also, um, um, I think it was two people. Well, they had two people recently in there with hippo bites. And hippos are actually actually are the most dangerous animal in Africa. People don't really know that, but yeah they, they attack and kill all sorts of things and uh but Gambela, we had this wild we had uh, so Dan and I, Dan and I, well not mom, you know Dad says, "Sure, go ahead," and he turns around and walks off. Mom pulls up a chair and sits down and and we're out there swimming you know out there with the kids, and we would go underwater and hold our breath for as long as we could. And right when we came up, Mom would be standing up. <laughs> Looking around. And uh there was a sandbar and we swam out to the sandbar. I mean we took the exact same trip that the Peace Corps guy who got taken by a croc. We, took it. we swam out to the sandbar. Do you remember that? And when we came up out of the sandbar, two little crocs hopped up on the other side and jumped into the water. And uh you know, we were we were just crazy. I mean, Dad, Dad was like, you know, okay, if the crocs are gonna eat my kids, then it's all in God's plan, and that's fine. And he's willing with that. But we don't know that. We're just, you know, out there, you know, we're our ignorant selves, just daring them to take a bite. Come on. <laughs> and uh, the other the other thing from that trip was uh, this: the missionary had a canoe with a with a with a, a little six horsepower motor on it. And so we all piled in the canoe, oh, there's hippos up here. Yeah, let's go up and see the hippos. Oh, and the other thing is when we took off in the canoe, I don't know if you remember this, we got about 50 yards past the sandbar, and this big old croc popped up right there in the water and kind of swam beside the boat for about, you know, 10 feet and then went back down. And so there was, I mean, the river was full of crocs. <laughs> and so we took off and we went up the, and, we, went up and we, were, uh, we were going up to the hippos. And uh, we could see the hippos up there, and there was a big, wide, flat spot in the, in the river before we got to the hippos. We, the hippos were, you know, they were you know, another quarter mile up there. And so we're going up, and we go through this flat, calm spot in the river. And all of a sudden, this hippo just, out of nowhere, just explodes out of the water. I mean, I mean it looked like it was about six feet. You know, off the off the boat, and it just comes, just straight up out of the water, and like goes, ah! I guess with its mouth, <laughs> and and I hear my sister. I mean, the, that's the other thing I remember about it is my sister just going, ah! <laughs> and. Uh, and, and, I mean, it jumped. I mean, it had. It looked like it looked to me like it jumped just completely out of the water. I mean, I could see its belly, and I'm sure it, all it did was just moving backwards. But you saw this huge mouth and everything, and then it just went, boom, down in the water. And the water cleared over, and it was peaceful, and we didn't see anything again. <laughs> and Dad said, well, maybe we better turn around. <laughs> and, then, and so we turned around and came back. Um, but I don't know. Africa was, was one crazy trip like that after another. I mean, it was just, um, I remember in the game parks. You know, we'd go in the game parks and, and we'd be back there driving in the trees. You know, We'd be following these little trails. We had this little um, Datsun 120Y. It was an itty-bitty little station wagon. It just barely fit all of us in there. And Dad would be going back through, these, through the trees and the things. And uh, we'd be passing huge piles of elephant poop. I mean, fresh, huge, fresh piles of elephant poop, and, and there was elephants everywhere. We seen them, and Dad's just <laughs> driving back in there, and Mom is just freaking right out. And you know, Bill, there's no way you'll ever be able to back out of here. If we see an elephant, you won't be able. And she was right. There was there was no backing out. <laughs> Dad wasn't. Dad was just going to have that elephant sitting on the hood of that car, man. And um, and that's that's. Yeah, I don't know. You are granted. You are granted certain freedoms. Um, as for me, I think I sort of came to Christ at I was about eighteen. There, I was uh, I was having a, I was miserable at school, um, and I think I was, I just got tired of living with myself, and and kind of finally said, okay, God, you take over, and 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 decided to try God for a while. And and I did that, and and things got better, things got considerably better. And uh, it wasn't until um, I came back to the states that I kind of had this rethinking. Well, maybe I've been perhaps a little bit rash in my my jumping up, you know, to seeing God, and I should go out and explore things on my own a little bit. And so I sort of went south for quite a long while. And actually didn't really seriously come back to God. I mean, I, I, you don't really go south. I, my basic theory is that we are all created in the image of God. And that, and that because we are created that way, we have an innate ability to recognize truth when we see it. So when, when you share the gospel with somebody, they know it. They know it for the truth. There's no... You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to... They know it. That's... This is... This is my theory. Is because you are who you are, because you are made who you are, you know it. And... People... So, even though I told myself that I was really on a quest for truth, I, there was no quest. I was... I was basically just turning my back on God and doing whatever I wanted to do. And I went about that way for... um well, Natalie and I got married, and it really wasn't until the kids were born that um, that I sort of you know I mean and I flirted with God because when Natalie and I first got married, uh, we we had a rough time for a long time, a lot of years. About the first first five years of our marriage were pretty much hell, and uh, and but even then, I mean back to Peter going you know Peter Peter. He starts to sink, and he's in trouble. He's crying out to God, and that's and that's kind of the way I was a lot. It was I was, you know, Peter'd start. I was when I I'd, I'd sink, and I'd cry out to God. Our marriage'd get in trouble, and I'd say, okay, well, um, well let's go to church. You yeah, know, and we'd start going to church, and and that helped. That helped a lot. Um, it's hard to be mad at your spouse in church. Mm-hmm and I had a thought and I lost it. But anyway, um, the kids were born. When the kids were born, um, I realized that that this was more than I could do, that I couldn't do. Up until then, I think I'd sort of had this idea of this, my attitude towards life was, um, you look at you look at the, you know, what's the worst that can possibly happen? I'd say, look at any situation, I'd say, okay, what was the worst that could possibly happen? The worst that could possibly happen would be, la da 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 and then I'd ask myself, okay, could I live with that if I really had to? And I'd say, yeah, sure. If I had to live in a dumpster the rest of my life, I could probably do that. I mean, it wouldn't be a fun life, it wouldn't be a great life, but I could, I mean, if that was my life, I could I could do that. And all of a sudden, kids come along, and it's it's totally different. I mean, you can't say, okay, can I can I let my kids live in a dumpster? Can I? Uh, I mean, can I? You know, they're they're laying there, and these these twins, and they're these little skinny things, you know, with their fingers. <laughs> and uh, and and you know, you lay sitting there watching them at night, and you're thinking, um, and there's really nothing nothing I can do to make these kids even breathe. You know, if this kid quit breathing right now, quit breathing, and, you know, when they're little like that, you know, that's that looks like a distinct possibility. These guys could just quit any minute. And, and, uh, and I think that's when I, that's when I, I, I guess, sort of gave up and kind of said, okay, God, you know, I need you. I, I, I can't do this. This I can't do. And, uh, and, and that's when I um, began to follow God reluctantly. I'm I'm like I'm not sure what movie that is with the guy that's who's dragging the dog. He's got the dog on the leash and he's walking along, and the dog's just. I'm that, that dog. Um, so, and let me see where was I at? Raise up your children in the way that they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that the reason Natalie and I are married today is because of uh, the instruction I got when I was a kid. Is because sitting the things we did sitting around the table, reading reading the Bible when I was a kid, and and you know the missionary school and all that other stuff, um, you know being pelted with scripture and 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 Um, you know, watching my dad and that sort of thing. That stuff, I'm almost certain that's the reason Natalie and I are married today. And what else? Um, The other defining thing in my life was... uh, was when Billy broke his leg, and that was, um, one day, Billy, I mean, we're all playing, and we're doing the, uh, we're doing the, the horsey thing, you know, and Billy's on my back, and, you know, we're romping around, and he flips off, and I reach up to catch him, like this, you know, I'm down on all fours, and I reach up to catch him, I mean, he fell this far from here to here, and he kind of, plopped in front of me, and I heard this snap, and, uh, and I do all the wrong stuff, I immediately pick him up, and, you know, oh, you okay, and I put him on, put, put my arm under him like this, and I felt something crunching around in there, and I kind of went, and, and put him down, and, uh, called the ambulance, and I called Natalie, and, uh, and the ambulance guy showed up, And they started, you know, playing with his toes and things like that. And so they they put him on the backboard, and then they take him into the emergency room. And then the doctor comes in, and the doctor starts, you know, picking up his legs and dropping them and and takes his thumb, you know, on his toenail. And Billy's kind of just going, "Uh, uh, uh, uh." he's just kind of got this constant whimper going. And the doctor just takes his thumb on his toenails and just goes, "Uh," like this, as hard as he can. You know, just... Trying to cause as much pain as he can, and and Billy's expression never changes. He's he's just uh, 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 and he's doing all this other thing, and I don't really understand what's going on. But I can look at Natalie, and I can tell that Natalie she's, you know, she's shaking and she's, you know, standing there. And, and then the doctor turns around. and He tells us. He says, um, "Well, I think he's got a spinal injury, so I want you guys to go down and get an X-ray." And I was like. So I went down there and we're sitting in that extra room, and I'm praying. I am praying like I've never prayed in my life, and um, and it's um, it's a very very low who you are as a base person, and when you're doing everything you can to change God's mind. And I'm getting belligerent, you know. I'm saying, you know, you say, you know, what, what, you know, what father when his child asks for a, you know, asks for bread, his father gives him a snake. You say this, and you say, and uh, this voice goes through my head, and this voice says. I gave you this child. I am God. And I just kind of went, okay, whatever you want to do. And after that, and it wasn't five minutes after that, because I think after that I started praying, you know, okay, help help me to deal with this. Just help me to, come come to grips and after that the nurse came out and told us that he just broke his femur bone and that it wasn't a spinal injury and so I don't know you ask me okay, did God do a miracle and change things well in my mind he did Um, and I I sometimes wonder if I had not been such a coward, if I had not fought so hard, if I had been willing to go along with whatever it was that God had planned to begin with, what what did I miss out on? What and it was sort of that kind of thinking that I mean helped me deal with Dad when Dad died was was sort of the idea that um, you know Dad had the cancer and it went on and on and on and you just want to you know go okay you know and you pray for healing and pray for healing and pray for healing but at some point you say you know that's that's really not the plan here the plan is that this is gonna this is gonna play out and. it's coming to grips with the idea okay that's that's from god as well and i don't know i talked to a guy once who said you know oh his wife had died from cancer and and he was like oh you know it wasn't a matter of faith you know we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed well sometimes i know sometimes faith is is being willing to go along with what god has planned it's not a matter of moving mountains and walking on waters it's it's Things are kind of plunking along the way. God has got it set up, and and your your job is to understand that and to go along. Um, and the other thing, this is sort of the end. At um, least that I got from my dad was the idea, or the is. My dad died at age sixty-two. My grandfather died. He died at 70-something. 70, 70 my other grandfather died at 70-something. Um, he, he died of a heart attack. He he was up working on a windmill and had tied himself to the windmill and was working along and was out there. And then he, he came down from the windmill and sat next to my other great-uncle. I'm not sure, Uncle Andrew. I'm not sure how he works. And he said, oh, I'm not feeling too good. And then he went, clunk. And and that was it. And he died. And I was was like, "You're just lucky he didn't die five minutes earlier, tied up to that windmill." (laughs) But uh, um, I think when Dad died, what got me thinking hard was was I'm guessing Dad was in better shape than I am. I mean, I mean, I I did. I mean, I chewed tobacco for fifteen years um my chances of I mean my chances of getting cancer or whatever dad had are probably better than his and so i'm I'm guessing that I will not live as long as he does and I think what but it so in looking at my dad's life and how he lived his life and and the idea that you know he he really lived his life for that day that day when he was Sitting in that coffin. I mean, that's that's a day he lived his life for. It was the, it was the understanding? I mean, he lived his life basically daring God. Okay, take me out <laughs> anytime. Anytime I'm ready. I'm sitting in Wendy's the other day, and I'm watching these two old people, and uh, it was this man and this woman. And this man looks like oh, they got to be late seventies, early eighties. You know, you know they're old, they're old, and they're wrinkled up in there, and they're walking. And it's and I'm sitting there. Wendy's waiting for the drive-through. And there's ice, you know, everywhere, and they're and they're holding on to each other as they're coming across the ice, and I'm and I'm just praying, God, please don't let that guy fall, please don't let that guy fall, and I'm thinking, if should I, if I ever make it to that age, um, I think I'll be praying every day for God to take me now, just let me go, I'm ready to go. I had Grandma, <laughs> Julie called called Grandma, and said. Our kids are praying for you. They pray for you every day that you'll that you'll live. And she said, "Well, tell them to stop." Said <laughs> I'm ninety-four. I'm ready to go. And uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, so in terms of back to. Once you realize, once you come to the conclusion that you are mortal and you are going to die, when you're young, you never it, it's it's a very far possibility. It'll never happen. It never actually gonna happen to me. But it will. And when you, you realize that and that begins to sink in, um, it sort of narrows your focus a little bit. What sort of things are worth fussing about? What sort of things are worth being hot about? What sort of things can you control and can't you control? My dad my dad never really gave us a lot of, you know, we, we talked about how much interpersonal communication dad gave us. Well, I don't think dad really put his faith in his ability to control us because I don't think he had any. And I think dad, ult- dad's ult- dad ultimately put his faith for us, in God, and said, and in fact, <laughs> I think at some point, he just, kind of went, okay, God, you, you got to do this, because <laughs> I, I can't do that, I mean, we did things as a family, but dad, I don't know, it's just kind of us the way we are, we, we, we're we McElroys, we're kind of, we are, we're sort of social idiots to a certain degree, we don't, we don't really, uh, but, um, So with Dad and Peter, and looking at God and and what what do you really believe? Are you really willing to get out of the boat? Are you really willing to give your kids over to God? Are you really willing to um, to do whatever God has in mind? And I and I tell myself, well, I'm I'm a coward. I'm a coward because I hang on. I hang on to the boat so tight and I know this about me, I, and, and it's stupid to hang on to the boat because I know the boat The boat is going to go down, the boat's going to sink, the boat, the boat isn't going to be there, and it's really just me and God, and I don't know what it is that's in me that, that won't let go of that boat, it's this pacifier thing that I've got I've got to have it in my mouth. I've got to hang on to this boat. I've got to and um, and I often ask myself, do do I I mean, I must not. If I can't seem to let go of that boat, why do I not really trust God? Is, do I not what what is it that you really believe? What do you really believe? I mean, do you really believe? <coughs> Do you really believe that if you don't trust Jesus as your savior, then when you die you go to hell? Do you really believe that? If you really believe that, how can you how can you work next to somebody who is a non-believer and say nothing? And I do that every day. How can I how can I not I mean if you really believe that how can you walk around with that inside as if you're you know this is a secret I've got this is this little thing I'm I'm dealing with so um, so that's me Um, okay, one last thing. Back to the what do you really believe in? as God in control? I uh, we go out to eat at a Chinese restaurant, and I take the little things and I bring them bring them back to work, and I paste them up on my my wall. The fortune cookie deals, and they say, say things like, "It is yet." time enough for you to take another path. (laughs) And I look at that, I think about that. And uh, um, I was sitting there one day, and my boss and I were working, and I had this gum in my mouth, and it was driving me nuts. So I took the gum out, and (laughs) and I spit it in the trash can, and I put it back, and I just had this little sort of like brain fart thing that kind of (laughs) went... all in a in a flash, and I thought, and I was thinking, well, why did I do that? Why did I just, I mean, you know, here I am working away, and I and it was just kind of like, well, this is my life. I'm working away, and, you know, spit the gum out, and I thought, what would have happened if I had just spit that gum straight up in the air, just and then pulled the trash can out and caught it in the trash can instead of just spitting it straight into the trash can? Why not just spit it straight up in the air and Here's, here's, you know, here's my life. 15 years of the cube, 15 years of the cube, you know, hit with this one little spike. This one little spike of time, kunk, with the gum hanging in the midair, fwoah, and then the gum goes in the trash can. So I wrote me a little Chinese thing, and it just says spinning ball of gum, and I type, put pasted it up on, the, on my thing. Nobody's ever asked me what the spinning ball of gum means, but. And I think what was going through my brain was just at the idea that here I am, I'm going day to, day to day to day to day to day, and I'm in my cube, and I've got this cube wall up between even me and the window outside. I can't even see outside. I mean, they've got they put a cube wall between my my desk and the window, <laughs> and I mean it's like I was gonna escape or something. And I'm working away, working away, and here's here's, and. And this, the gum, it's like I can just see that. Li- I think about it, and I can just see this little glistening piece of gum kind of hanging in the air there. And just for that split second, that split second in time, it's like I just stop and look. And, and if you just took that whole, that one little slice in time, and just froze it all, froze everything in that little slice of time, and then just went looked looked at all of it, just looked at, it, looked at it all, and you would have, you know, I got, you know, the person sitting next to me, and look at who I am, and I am this, this, this amazing, this amazing machine, which, um, and and to me, that's the best, the best argument against evolution is, is that it's just incredible. I mean, it's just too far fetched to believe. That's 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 my. But I am this I am this machine and I am I mean, you know, I've got this cognitive, you know, thinking and just people. All the world is filled with these people who are all machines, all individual, all each one of them different, think they think different, and they are all each one of them individually beautiful. And the world and um, you know, the Bible says, and, the, and I struggle with this one, the Bible says, you know, I, you know, if you love your life, you'll lose it. And I'm thinking, how can you not love it? It is just, it's all just incredibly beautiful. I mean, even the bad stuff is, is still, it's all worth doing, it's all. Um, you ever seen Joe versus the Volcano? And that one, I don't know if it's kind of a silly little movie. But in one, in one scene, he stands up, and he says, <laughs> he says, he says, God, whose name I do not know, says, I thank you for every second of my worthless life. And that's kind of way that, that, that spinning ball of gum is. You know, you look around, and it's all just incredibly beautiful. And then the gum begins to move. And then there's the next second. And it's, it's equally as beautiful as the last and then the next one, and then the next one, and then it becomes this constant flow, of, of just incredible beauty and organization and music, and um, I think about that, and I know that my God is incredible. That this this is what my God had in mind was this constant flow, this and. So when people say to me, heaven, heaven sure sounds boring, sitting around playing harps and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, look around at the world, at this world. This world is incredible, and we aren't even connected to God I mean, we've got this sin thing between us and God, this thing that separates us. I mean, if this world is as incredible as it is, the next will just be mind-blowing. It'll just be incredible. Anyway, that's I think that's that's like all I got to say. Father in heaven, I just uh, I thank you for this group of people, and I thank you that you are who you are, that you are an amazing God, and I just ask that you will. Uh, You'll give us the the will and the strength and the ability to let go of our fears and to, to accept the the abundant life that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.